Hello and welcome to another episode of Thanks Zuckets Friday, the IT news podcast from computing. As usual, I'm Stuart Sumner and I'm delighted to be joined by my co-hosts John Leonard and Tom Allen, who even as I speak are trying to distract me from this intro in their traditional way. Um, fantastic. Well, they didn't succeed. Uh, that's the good news. So let's dive into the first section, which is our enforced banter section. Tom, what have you been up to recently? Um, aside from trying to distract you, I went camping in my garden over the Easter weekend because, of course, camping outside is still frowned upon. It's a big no-no. Um, but my girlfriend and I bought a tent. We now own equity together. Um, and, yeah, we, we, uh, we got Canvas, some Canvas-based equity. Yes, Canvas-based equity. We got some lanterns, uh, some liberal amounts of alcohol, snacks, uh, card games. And, uh, yeah, we went camping. And it was, it was very fun to do something a bit different. I think that's, that's one of the interesting things about the pandemic is activities which normally you'd think sound rubbish actually just no, become genuinely that sounds quite nice that sounds quite lovely camping in your garden I can see that because once you're in the tent and it's night and you've got your lantern on you could be anywhere you could be you know somewhere in the Brecon Beacons or something else somewhere you, you know you might actually want to be um so that's yeah that's good and, and it, it was, I'm glad to hear it was as exciting and delightful as it sounds Oh, well, I just kept repeating to myself, you're in British Columbia, you're in British Columbia, you're in British Columbia. And did that it work? It didn't quite work because I could hear seagulls, but... Um, Rather than grizzly bears. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and feral foxes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like I got into the mindset. I'm ready for a holiday now. Yeah, I think we've all been ready for a holiday for some time now, but that's, um, that does sound like, you know, the next best thing. Uh, John, what have you been up to? Any holidays? Um, no, but we have been um, starting to think about holiday, feeling it'd be nice to go a bit further than the end of the road for once. Um, but everything still seems pretty uncertain as to, you know, what we can actually do. So we're not putting any money down yet. Um, last time we tried to have a holiday, we did put spend loads of money and then spent months and months trying to get it back again, because obviously the holiday didn't happen. Um, but just sort of thinking about going away is actually quite a, a nice release. I've found. Yeah, it's, it's, it's part of it. Part of the point is the looking forward to it, isn't it? And uh, putting, getting in the mindset and looking through places to stay. I know we, we've been doing a bit of that as well. Um, similarly, uh, we, we had a, um, a lovely holiday in, in Canada planned uh, last year and the lockdown came and the flight got cancelled. And we had that similar thing of like putting money down and then losing it. Um, and I spent uh, I spent almost exactly a year chasing the money, trying to trying to get it back and constantly being fobbed off and being told, no, it's going to be another five weeks. Oh, it's another two weeks. Oh, no, it's already happened. No, it hasn't. You know, that 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 lengthy process uh and i got into a big tiz um threw all of my toys at the pram uh started all kinds of legal proceedings complained to the credit card company all kinds of stuff and eventually to cut a long story short it resolved that the money actually had been refunded when he first said it was and i just hadn't checked it properly um so that was there was a lesson there somewhere but i'm, I'm not examining it too closely and tells it in case it tells me something i don't really want to know um so that was uh one of my wonderful uh lockdown experiences um, anyway, let's move on to uh, IT news. Uh, Tom, I think you've got something exciting for us, haven't you? I do. Uh, it's a story about the Home Office, which is always a thrilling section. Um, so a Home Office team called the Data Services and Analytics Unit, uh, our abbreviated DSA, is operating a massive database of personal information. It's come out um, with details of more than 650 million people. So for reference, the population of the UK is only about 66 million. Um, so the way this, this came out is the charity Privacy International submitted a freedom of information request uh, for more details, um, and it showed that the unit, the DSA, holds information about people's ethnicity, immigration status, their nationality, their criminal record history, and biometrics. 
so that's um, the data for 650 million people. That's like 10 times the size of Britain, isn't it? So presumably that's people that have been coming and going out of the country and stuff. Do, do, do we actually know who these people are? Well, not just Britain, 10 times the size of the UK. Um, and as for where they got all that data, uh, well, according to a government procurement notice uh, that was released in January last year, the DSA has access to data from commercial databases, immigration and border systems, so yes, John, people coming in and out of the country, and police and intelligence agencies, hence criminal record history. Uh, the Home Office also shared some documents during the Freedom of Information request, but most of the details were redacted. Of the 30 data providers listed, only two were named, and neither of them, uh, which were the, the GB Group and Dun & Bradstreet, would comment on their work with the government. So what's the reaction been to this? Has, been, has there been a sort of general um, outrage, or how have people been reacting? Uh, yeah, there's been quite a lot of anger about it, because, well, I, I, as time goes on, people are, are calling on to the fact that their data is important and valuable. Um, so this huge amount of data held and the lack of transparency around it have prompted accusations the unit could be creating a so-called super database that could heighten racial biases. Um, Eden Omanovich, uh, who's the Advocacy Director of Privacy International, said that the project scope was truly frightening. Um, and then he added, the idea that more data leads to more accurate conclusions is fundamentally flawed. In reality, what we've seen is that if junk goes in, then junk comes out. And then in the same vein of that, uh, Chai Patel of the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants said, the data sets the Home Office uses are tainted by decades of institutional racial bias, and this data therefore poses grave risks to both British and migrant ethnic minorities. So yeah, it's fair to say there's a lot of anger out there about it right now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm inclined to agree with them as well. Um, fantastic. All right. Thanks for that. Let's let's move on to the next story. Uh, John, what have you got for us? OK, mine is about um, Derby based reseller value licensing, which, who, which have filed a £270 million antitrust lawsuit against Microsoft. And they're accusing Microsoft of trying to kill competition in the second hand software market, which is where um, where their business is. So their business is reselling pre-owned Microsoft volume licenses for Windows and Office and things like this to customers that include NHS trusts and also businesses um, to whom it claims it can offer big savings over the sort of current version of the software. And Microsoft, of course, has been keen to move as many of its customers to the cloud as possible. Uh, it's been doing that for a while now, where it can benefit from recurring subscription revenue for Office 365 and Azure. So what it's been doing, according to value licensing, is saying to its customers, hey, tell you what, Gov, you chuck out your old Office DVDs, and we'll give you a really good deal on this shiny new Office 365 subscription, all mod cons up in the cloud, lovely views. Oh, but no selling your old software licenses now or the deal's off. And so value licensing says that because Microsoft has a de facto monopoly on office software for businesses, and I guess operating systems too, it's been abusing its market power to keep the prices of its cloud services down, um, high, sorry. Um, so that's the kind of gist of the case. And uh, how, how long has this been going on for? I mean, it, it's not like it's a, a, a new issue, is it? I swear I've heard something about this before. Yeah, I mean, it's, you're right, it's, it's not new. Um, value licensing says it's been going on, um, the, the Microsoft case, since about 2016, and that since then it's lost business worth £270 million, which is Jesus. where 
the where it's um, what it's suing Microsoft for now, yeah. um, and it's suing under the UK Competition Act of 1998. Um, and the company says, I quote, the contractual terms Microsoft has required its customers to accept in exchange for discounts amount to anti-competitive argument uh, agreements. It, it's very hard, though, isn't it? Something like this, it's very hard for a judge to adjudicate because ultimately it's uh, it's a, it's a vendor offering discounts on its services to to existing customers of different products which is what vendors do all the time so is there any precedent for this you know for this to be a, a, for this kind of legal action um there is um microsoft itself of course is no stranger to antitrust lawsuits um the first one goes all the way back to 1990 when they were sued for insisting that pc manufacturers paid their microsoft dos you know the old operating system even if they didn't install it. Um, that carried on for quite some time. Probably the most famous case against them was when they bundled Internet Explorer browser with Windows in the late 90s. They, they lost that one. Um, and in 2008, the EU found them $1.3 billion for abusing the dominance of Windows to gain unfair market advantage. Uh, so Microsoft is no stranger to this sort of lawsuit, and no doubt they will be well lawyered up. Um, as you say, you know, the judge might find it quite difficult. Probably the closest precedent, um, because it's related to the resale of software licenses, is the European Court's 2012 ruling against Oracle for trying to stop people selling its software licenses. And that case actually opened up this market for secondhand software. Interesting. But, uh, okay. Well, that's, so, yeah, hard, hard to say which way this one's going to go, uh, but we'll certainly keep covering it on computing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our third and final story, which uh, this week is presented by me. Um, so I'm talking about a couple of hacks, uh, social media hacks, um, or, you know, the word hacks is possibly incorrect here, but we'll, um, we'll go into it. So um, first of all, there's millions of uh, LinkedIn users, personal details um, have allegedly been leaked on a popular hacking forum. Um, so that's um, a data archive that was scraped from around 500 million LinkedIn profiles has been put up for sale, sale online. Um, and to prove that the data is legit, the poster has included uh, nearly 2 million records as a sample, um, which forum members can view for just $2 worth of um, forum credits. Um, the leaked records include things like usernames, phone numbers, email addresses, links to other social media profiles and users' workplace details, uh, but doesn't appear to contain uh, credit card details. Okay, so there's a lot of personal information. It's been posted in a hacking forum, but you said that uh, hack is not quite the right word. Yeah, because I mean, and this is there's one at Facebook as well that I'll, I'll come on to in a second because the data has actually been scraped rather than hacked, so it is freely available um, information. Um, so on, with, uh, so yeah, so, so the LinkedIn uh, data has just been scraped directly off the site, um, and it's not clear if that's really up to date or if it's taken from um, a, a, a previous breach that happened um, some time ago. But moving on to the to the Facebook one because this is, this is really similar. Um, so there's actually uh, half a billion users um, uh, whose personal details were leaked online in a hacking forum. Uh, Facebook apparently isn't intending to speak to them, notify them, uh, talk to them at all. Um, and uh, it's Facebook users from 106 different countries um, and uh, lots of in, in, the, in the UK um, and the US um, includes full names, phone numbers, gender, date of birth, location, relationship status, email addresses. Um, again, not, um, uh, not credit card or financial um, details, but 
but in this case, um, the data again was scraped from people's Facebook pro um, profiles prior to September 2019 um, using a contact importer feature, um, which uh, they had available at the time. So again, not really hacked, it's just um, scraped using an existing feature. I guess that um, this is one of the downsides to Facebook's insistence that people use real names, um, which is a topic of some debate at the moment. Um, so your real name and your phone number and lots of other information about you, of course, is going to be on, on Facebook. Um, I guess that the hackers must, or the scrapers rather, must have used some sort of special tool or some sort of hole in the processes to be able to do that, because I imagine manually scraping 500 million records um, wouldn't be a great deal of fun. No, you, I mean, obviously it's a process. You can automate it um, with a simple um, uh, algorithm um, of some kind. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a feature that was already there, a feature designed to help people find their friends um, using contact lists. Um, and the feature itself was, um, Facebook admitted the feature was vulnerable. So I guess it wasn't the most tightly coded thing or the top, most, most well thought out uh, bit of software imaginable. Although, um, as I said, they have, uh, um, they have fixed it, so um, that actual feature no longer exists. Um, but in any case, that's you know that's a lot of different records, um, over 500 million, like I said, from both um, Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, gleaned by um, different means. Um, and I, th I think for me that it sort of shows, um, it, you know, it, it shows the danger of just sharing, oversharing too much um, online. We all have LinkedIn accounts for, you know, career purposes. Most people have Facebook accounts, um, and it's you know. The sites tempt you to put as much information in as possible and incentivize you um, and try to manipulate you to put as much data in as possible. But of course, anything you put in there, you've got to expect it's going to be hacked and taken and, and you know, used uh, to market to you or used for other people to profiteer. What a damning state on the uh, comment on the state of our world. Yeah, and also simultaneously very, very accurate. Um, this both is your weekly dose of nihilism with Stuart Sumner. I think that's, I think that's what, that's a good, good title for the podcast, actually. We were talking about the title earlier, and I think weekly dose of nihilism is actually a pretty strong contender. So uh, stand by for rename for next week. Uh, it could well happen. Um, apparently, so, so regulators are looking into, um, uh, into these breaches, um, uh, the Facebook one, uh, uh, for sure. Um, so uh, nothing, I mean, it's early days, so we don't have um, a, uh, an outcome for that yet. Um, I don't, I've got to admit, um, uh, I don't have, enormously high hopes for the um uh what the regulators are likely to come back with um but we'll see what happens and again we will uh keep following the story on computing and i think that is about enough from us for this week that wraps up our top three stories of the week we'll be back once again next week with more thanks for listening 